When we left the second chapter of John, Jesus had just turned water into wine. Although we know that God often manifested his glory by doing signs, isn't it interesting that Moses' first public sign was turning water into blood? Check out Exodus chapter 7, verse 20. And Jesus' first sign was turning water into wine. Today, we're going to finish up the rest of John, the second chapter, verses 13 through 23. Jesus poured out the coins of the money changers and turned over their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. This is the Community Church of Christ Bible Study Podcast in Triangle, Virginia. I'm your host and speaker, Connie Thornton-Brown. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recall what he had said. And they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Let's talk about Jerusalem and this Passover festival and why Jesus, you know, when we read the Bible, we constantly read about Jesus going to Jerusalem. Well, every male was required to go to Jerusalem three times a year. There was the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And they were required to go to Jerusalem to make offerings to the Lord. The law of Moses required that any animal offered in sacrifice must be what? You should know this by heart, without spot or wrinkle. Yes, any animal that was to be offered in sacrifice must be unblemished. On top of making these three journeys to Jerusalem every year, any male that was over 19 years of age must pay a temple tax. So imagine him going to Jerusalem 
in this scene uh, in chapter two, verse 13. And you have all of these people in Jerusalem and you have tax collectors on one side because everyone 19 years and older must pay a temple tax. And then you have inspectors of sacrificial animals all together in the chaos because you had to inspect the animals to make sure they weren't sickly and that they met the requirements. Normally, when you go to the temple in Jerusalem on a regular day, the city had between 100 to 200,000 people. But during these festivals, Jerusalem population could swell easily to a million souls. Well, imagine a crowd like the last minute Christmas shoppers, which would have been me in your favorite store, but it was like this everywhere. Now, on top of having to come in and offer an animal and pay the temple tax, there was a one more little thing that they had to do. Jewish officials would not accept secular coins because they had the image of Caesar on them. To put coins in the temple treasury with Caesar's face on it, with his image on it, was thought to be an offense. So our friendly neighborhood money changers came to the rescue. They were more than willing to exchange your currency into a standardized currency approved by the temple for a significant exchange rate. Once you had the correct currency, Merchants were standing by waiting to charge you an exorbitant amount for you to purchase that perfect animal, right? The one without spot or wrinkle to make your offering complete. So not only were the Jewish leaders using the temple as a place of business, the temple area mentioned here was known as the outermost courts or the court of the Gentiles. Here's the thing, because Gentiles were not Jews, they were not allowed to go into the inner courts to pray and to worship. So the only place they could go to pray and worship was the outer courts. That was designated for them. So now you have the money changers, you have the animal inspectors, you have crowds of people everywhere. The Gentiles, where are they supposed to have quiet? Where are they supposed to worship? and focus on God. So Jesus was really upset about this thing because they had transformed what should have been a place of worshipful prayer for the Gentiles into a noisy marketplace. And when the disciples said, I think, let me go back and look in verse 17, it says, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. It is written in Psalms 69 and 9, the, these exact words. That is another indication of Jesus being the Messiah because he fulfilled this scripture because he had zeal for the house of God. So take a minute and go back and read Psalms 69 and 9 and read the scripture about the righteous sufferer who is none other than Jesus Christ.
If any of you remember watching Martin and whenever he would get upset, and I'm not comparing this to Martin, but it just gave me a visual. And he, everyone was always in his apartment. And so he would tell them, y'all need to get to stepping, like get out of my house, get to stepping. And that's what this reminds me of. Jesus, because God is his father, had the authority to tell people, get out, just get out. Now you're making my father's house. That's supposed to be a house of prayer and to a, a marketplace. So when he was doing that, you know, the, 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 the Jewish leaders were picking this up. Like, who does he think he is telling us to get out? Like, you got to have some kind of authority or ownership to be able to do that. So they said to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them and said, destroy this temple and I would raise it again in three days. And this is what they said to him. They're in the physical again. They're not grasping what he's saying. They said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he has spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. The temple back in the first century was a building like no other. It was known for its grandeur and its beauty. It had been rebuilt a few times. It had walls the height of a 20-story building, and a plaza built by Herod was the size of six football fields. And remember, Jesus cried at even the thought of its destruction. The Jewish leaders wanted to know how Jesus could destroy a temple that it took 46 years to build, and they were so proud of it. To most Jews, and especially to the aristocracy who controlled Jerusalem's temple, speaking of the temple's demise sounded like opposing God. Well, we know in the 21st century, no one understood Jesus's reply at the time. A temple is the place where God dwells where humans can meet God. This was a prominent feature of Israel's worship, starting with the tabernacle and then the temples built by Solomon, Zerubbabel, and Herod. Jesus is the new temple, rendering the previous ones obsolete since he uniquely manifests God the Father. The ultimate once-for-all time sacrifice took place in this quote, temple, when others destroyed it, but Jesus rose from the dead in three days. Look at how Jesus didn't say, destroy it and I will build it again, but instead he said, destroy it and I will raise it again. So with all of this talk about our temple, I have a question for you. How are you treating your temple? So let's think about the physical church. In the temple, the temple in Jerusalem in the first century that we just read about, Jesus acted against corruption, exploitation, and injustice by leaders who took advantage of the vulnerability of the poor. 
How do we use God's house? Is it a house of prayer or a place of business? Some churches are still exploiting its members for gain and profit, just like these Jewish leaders were doing in the first century. Are we speaking up against the corruption? Are we speaking up against the exploitation and the injustices? How are we treating God's house? Now let's look at the physical body. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us, whom we have from God and that we are not our own. We have been brought with the price and should therefore glorify God, what? In our body. How are we treating our temple? Are we using our bodies as a place of worship or a place to follow our own desires? I hope you learned something new today. The old temples are obsolete to us. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are the new temple. If you have any questions or concerns about this podcast, send me a message on Facebook. Go to the search option and enter the little A with the circle around it. <laughs> it's at and type in W-H-I-T-E. C-H-U-R-C-H-I-L-L. So at White Church Hill, or you can send me an email at W-H-I-T, the number three, C-H-U-R-C-H-I-L-L at gmail.com. White Church Hill at gmail.com. Next week, we will start with John chapter three. What did Jesus mean when he told Nicodemus that he must be born again? Until then, in the words of John Huss, therefore, faithful Christian, seek the truth, hear the truth, learn the truth, love the truth, speak the truth, adhere to the truth, and defend the truth, even till death.